if you are able to value, respect, and appreciate the fact that each person is their own individual self with their own ideas, thoughts, and feelings, and you can respect and appreciate that, that's going to change the way that you respond to other people. That's going to change your ability to empathize with other people. Welcome to the State of Mind podcast, bringing you conversations about mental health that change lives. My name is Mike Stroh. I'm living in long-term recovery from a variety of mental health and addiction problems. I'm a practicing psychotherapist, public speaker, and mindfulness teacher. My hope is that by listening to this podcast, you will learn that you are empowered by your experience, not inhibited. And through these conversations, you will get insight into how you can cultivate your innate capacity for resilience and well-being. On today's episode, I am honored to welcome Bianca Ward, who is a certified dating coach and marriage and family therapy graduate student who helps ambitious women find their ideal romantic partner and build healthier and more fulfilling relationships. Through her private coaching practice and events, she has helped hundreds of individuals change their lives and heal issues ranging from self-image to perfectionism and self-worth. Her work is rooted in helping individuals better understand themselves through their actions, emotions, and thoughts, and shifting those leading to more positive change in an individual's personal life, career, and business. The main topic of today's episode is the idea of differentiation of self, how this shows up in romantic relationships, family dynamics, and social interactions, how we can use the latest scientific insights on differentiation to improve our dating lives, our romantic relationships, and our lives beyond. We also learn and talk about how to avoid and overcome common challenges that lead to dysfunctional relationships. We talk about general mental health and well-being as it pertains to relationships and how we can cultivate skill sets and mindsets and set boundaries around our lives and in our relationships that ultimately lead us to more fulfilling relationships and generally a happier life. I found this conversation very interesting. I learned a little bit myself and about my own lives, and I think you will enjoy this. So without further ado, I bring you the wonderful Bianca Ward. Hi, Bianca. Thank you for joining me. Uh, It's always amazing to connect with people. I think I remember telling you, I don't think I've ever had somebody on the podcast who I haven't met somehow before, and we met through the interweb. So Thank you for being here. It's exciting. And if you want to just introduce yourself a little bit about your work and maybe introduce this idea of differentiation of self, and then we can kind of go from there. Yes. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really grateful to be here and I'm glad that we were able to connect as well. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, my name is Bianca. I'm a certified life coach and a graduate student studying marriage and family therapy. And I'm really here just because differentiation of self is a very important topic. The reason why it's so important is because it is one of the factors that determines somebody's ability to have a healthy relationship, whether that is in a romantic sense with your family or with your friends. 
And it's connected to a lot of other topics that I noticed are gaining a lot more attention online, like attachment theory, uh, boundaries, all those concepts all go back to differentiation of self. But when I mention that to people who are not in the marriage and family therapy field, they look at me like I'm crazy and they have no idea what I'm talking about. So I really just want to talk more about that so that people are able to use that in their own lives in a very positive way. Yeah. Awesome. And can you maybe describe the similarities to, or, or how does it connect to boundaries, to healthy relationships, to our understanding of ourselves in the world and what that means for our sort of well-being as well? Yeah. So let's, let's backtrack. Let's start off with what it is, because it really is two different things. Okay. So first off, differentiation of self is your ability to distinguish your thoughts and your feelings. That's the first thing. So it is your capacity of being able to regulate what you're feeling and not react in a negative way to someone else when you feel like your emotions are heightened. Mm. So that's the first thing. Second, it is also your ability to remain a distinctly unique individual while you're still able to connect on a deep level with other people. Nice. And I'm, I'm it's a bit of a side question. My understanding of self, I guess, is certainly influenced by the, the non-dual Buddhist perspective of there is no self in a sense uh, at the core of it. And I, I'm pretty sure neuroscience agrees with that as of now. And at the same time, we do need a self. We do need some <laughs> concept of what that is and what it looks like in the world and how it relates to other people. Is there a distinction between, or does it go further, I guess, from this idea of recognizing we are not our thoughts, we are not our emotions? And, and I, like, I really like what you said on the latter half of that of, or I think what I heard you say is being able to sort of be our own person in situations and relationships with other people when I think as human beings, certainly as kids maybe, but it's almost as if we, we sort of lose that sense of boundary or that sense of self and just go along with whatever we think the other person thinks we should be or, or what we think they think we should be. Yes, exactly. That's really what it is in the marriage and family therapy field, which right. is different than how it is with like regular mental health counseling. Mm -hmm. So from an MFT perspective, the self is just the individual you who has your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own perspective, your own value system, and how you make sense of that in your mind. Right. So that is how the self is defined. Um, in terms of like how this relates to this concept of differentiation, what this would look like in a relationship is you're able to hold very strong, clear boundaries while you connect in your relationship with other people. So the way that I've seen someone who's on the, what you would consider to be like a low level of differentiation, that either looks like someone who doesn't have boundaries doesn't hold their boundaries that they have made, or there's someone who has very rigid boundaries that are not open to change in any form. 
no matter what happens. So those really are the the three main ways that this shows up in terms of boundaries. So are you familiar with um, Barbara Coloroso? I think her name is. No. no. I I know her work. I think she was one of the, I want to say one of the first parenting kind of expert people, but I think those have been around forever. But um, in terms of writing books around parenting, um, and she describes the jellyfish family, the rigid family, or the brick wall family or something like that. And then the perhaps more balanced family. And she does talk a lot about boundaries and who's responsible for what and and those type of things. I was just curious if you if you were aware of her, because uh, what you were saying kind of reflects those ideas. Um, they're obviously not new. I always struggle with this. I had a conversation recently. A lot of these ideas are not new, right? Right. And, and at the same time, somebody answered it this way recently, which I found helpful. It's always new for people that need to discover these ideas. Something like that. Does that make sense? And so the more we talk about it, I guess, or the more we put it in different ways, maybe more people have opportunities to learn about them. I don't know kind of what you think about that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think more of these terms are becoming popular, just like with access to the internet and people mm-hmm. really uh, getting involved with personal development and, and those kinds of materials online. But I do definitely agree with that. I think information like this isn't something that you would have to really know about until you're in like a situation where you're having problems or maybe right. you have like a dysfunctional family dynamic or a dysfunctional relationship with someone else. Right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's something I need to store in my own reminder memory bank. <laughs> it really is. It, it, it's until you're in a position in which these ideas are necessary for us, I guess, or, um, I'm I'm curious, maybe just a little side note. How did you get into this work, and what about it do you find meaningful and and inspiring, or what kind of motivates you to do it? Yeah, so it was really like a very long journey for me with a lot of switches. So when I was in college and I came in my first year, I had no idea what it was that I wanted to do other than the fact that I wanted to help people. And I knew that my special gift, because I believe every person in the world has like one really strong gift that just comes so naturally to them. Mine is that I'm able to empathize with other people. And I love to sit with people through their pain and help them through that. And so the only kind of career path that I knew of at that time that I feel like would help me do that was going into counseling. But then as I started doing some of the coursework, I realized I felt like there was a lack of content when it comes to your relationships with other people. It was all based on like that idea of like yourself and how to become a better person which I love all those things. And I think that they're very valuable, but I've always believed that your sense of self is built within your relationships with other people. Yeah, that, that certainly, I think as a point of reference in my own mind, I'm definitely in the, 
the content of my thoughts are much more in the personal space kind of idea. And that's, I guess, how I probably, or that was my journey through addiction recovery and that kind of thing. (laughs) Although at the same time, uh, lots of marriage counseling, you know, with my wife and, and working through all that. So it's not like I didn't exist in relationship, but I don't think I, I want to ask you two questions. Uh, Mm -hmm. The first being, and I've heard this said by other sort of mental health clinicians or just people who work in this area about this idea of relationship and identity and sense of self. And it's sort of the, how do you think about the balance or the interaction between, yes, we are selves and we need to differentiate that. And at the same time, we, we're in relationship. And so we kind of need, I don't know, people to respect that, but at the same time, almost to agree with it in a sense. Mm-hmm. We can't just say, I am this, therefore you must go along with that. Right. We do need agreement, right? Or I, I'm yes. not sure. Can I, and does that make sense? That question makes sense? Yes. Yes, yeah. it does make sense. The way that I'm trained to look at this from the marriage and family therapy field is that we're all relational creatures. So it's mm-hmm. like, you need to be in relationship with others to understand yourself. So like there is a balance between those two things, but in the MFT field, we have this thing called systems theory, Mm -hmm. which is just, you are a systemic thinker. You think about the world in terms of systems. And if you're relating that back to your sense of self, you can create relationships with everything that are involved with you. Like, for example, like this conversation would be considered a relationship, right? Like us talking these things out helps me to better process things in my mind to understand how I think about the concept of differentiation, right? Like you eat every day. So you have a relationship with food or like how you were talking about your addiction recovery process. All those things have a balance between yourself and your relationship with something else. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. My mind it goes in so many directions. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I want to go back a little bit to your own foray into this work and yes. and kind of when working with people, I guess, or or what do you think or have seen kind of when the light bulbs go on in some sense when people get a sense of, wow, I am my own being in some ways, and I do have boundaries and needs and wants and desires. And wow, those are actually separate from my family system at the same time as being intertwined with, and maybe what gets in the way of that or what causes that sort of enmeshment for people mm-hmm. and how how have you sort of seen people kind of work through that or or just have the lights come on, I guess. Yeah, I've usually seen this from the perspective of people who have some form of like self-worth or self-esteem issue. And so that's so general. And that does overlap with, of course, like a lot of different things, a lot of different um, issues. But mainly I see it from, you know, people who have dysfunctional relationships with their families or their romantic partners Um, I've seen it a lot with people who come into therapy or even want a life coach because they feel like 
their life isn't the what isn't the way that they want it to look. And when you really start to work with that person on a deeper level and you establish a positive relationship with them, you start to notice a lot of that goes back to how they feel when they're around other people or how they think that they're perceived by others. Hmm. And so that's, that's really how a lot of it um, shows up in terms of like mental health disorders. There's an overlap with differentiation in people who have things like anxiety and depression. So, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I kind of want to ask you a bit of like a sociology question around this stuff where, where I think, I don't know if it's, there's a correlation between sort of social media and our, our, I guess, social identities kind of thing. It's mm -hmm. like set up a profile, label all your identities and your interests and your this, and then people get like attached to these identities, I guess, right. Or these descriptions of self, and then they hold on to them so rigidly. And then I see also they, this is a generalization, of course, but they also then sort of blend that into a social narrative with, I care about this topic. Therefore, when that topic's being discussed or discussed in a way that I don't agree with, then that's like an attack on me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And, and, and I think in some sense, that's where people get fused with this uh, unhelpful sense of self. I don't know, does that like make sense? And, and does it fit to this at all? Yes, it does. So from this kind of field, yeah. we're trained to think that people have relational identities. So it okay. goes back to yeah. everything that you just described. And adding on to that, it's also like, depending on who you're with or what kind of aspect of your identity that you want shown mm -hmm, to specific mm -hmm, people mm -hmm, in your life. Mm -hmm. Cause usually it's, if it's your, your ideas, your identity is relational. So like, for example, the way that I relate to you may right. not be the same way that I'm relating to my mom. Right. 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 Because we have a different kind mm -hmm. of, a different kind of relationship and the way that I'm expressing my identity is distinct and it's many layered really. And right, so right, right. going with this idea of differentiation, a lot of times people who have a low level, low level of differentiation have a hard time expressing themselves for the most part, pretty like consistently. Like when I say that things are different, it doesn't mean that like you're a completely different person, but maybe it's just like there are certain aspects of yourself that you'll show to others. Like maybe in a workplace, you are much more like rigid and, and you are very, uh, you're very blunt, but when you come home and you have your family and your kids, you're a lot softer with them, right? Like that would be normal, but someone who has a low level of differentiation, it's like they might look like a completely different person in all these situations. And on the opposite end, they might look like they're completely the same, so much so that you can't get past that wall or that boundary that they've put up to really have a healthy uh, connection with that person. Right. And is there... 
first of all, thank you. <laughs> that that's helpful. Um, and I guess on both ends of that, or how do you separate the? You said it so nicely, sort of the. You know, I'm going to have a different relationship with the person I'm interacting with, depending on the context of that, right, and and all that stuff. And maybe it's more. There's this sort of ethos, I guess, you know, be yourself, <laughs> be yourself and everything will be fine kind of idea. It doesn't mean, so if I follow that logic, when I'm in a workplace setting, I'm still being myself. I'm just not perhaps saying certain things or talking about certain topics that don't seem to fit or, or don't seem socially, like wouldn't fit within the social norm of that environment. Yes. Okay. And then if I go into my home, the social norms change, of course, and the way that I act, it's still myself, I guess. Is that yes. right? Yes. Yes, exactly. You're still always you. <laughs> right, but right. <laughs> from, the, from the context of a romantic relationship, because looking at something from that perspective is how I think this makes the most sense. Because things get a little murky with family, because depending on like, maybe your culture or your background or who's in your family, this could look completely different for each person. But like I find with relationships, it's easier to think about because there's so many different, like, uh, like almost like similarities kind of. So for example, say if someone is in a relationship with someone else, I've seen women do this a lot specifically where maybe they start changing their hair or the way that they dress just to fit a specific idea that they think that their partner is attracted to when it comes to other women. Not because they really just wanted to dye their hair or maybe they just wanted to change or to feel good about themselves. That's when things start to become dysfunctional from a clinical standpoint. And, and what the remedy in some sense is the ability to be uh, uh, regulate one's emotions or be present enough so that they could ask their partner what it is they like or i guess that changes depending on the quality or the connection in the relationship where where what i guess what i'm thinking on top of that or or and along with that is how we for example in um nonviolent communication in that framework, which I, mm -hmm. I find the words abrasive is like, it's a bit much, but there's so much wisdom in it, um, is taking, uh, taking responsibility for our feelings and not taking responsibility for other people's feelings. Yes. Taking responsibility for our actions, not taking responsibility for other people's actions. There's a missing component. I think of, we are responsible to people to be respectful and to be ethical or treat people digni with dignity. But in relationship, as you say, those things get so blurred or, or they can obviously. And I would say from my own experience in the past, I think my wife and I have practiced so much that we almost, we don't let anything go because that prevents real problems from happening. So we kind of like nip every little thing in the butt. But in the past, it would be your response. I, I'm anxious about this situation and it's your fault kind of idea. Yeah. So not only am I 
wondering what I think the other person thinks I want. I'm also kind of, I don't know how you would describe it. I'm projecting or I'm dumping my emotions onto the other person and making them responsible for it. Yes. Do you, how do you help people come to that, (laughs) that understanding? Well, the core of being able to help them become more well differentiated Uh is to help people just like learn one healthy coping skills on how to deal with complex negative emotions in particular. Because usually when we're thinking about differentiation, we're not thinking about like the positive emotions that you're, you're feeling. We're thinking about the lack of positive emotions, right? (laughs) So, so the key there is like you were saying, just being present, learning skills on how to respect yourself so that you can respect other people. Um, Because that's really at the core of it, I think what it comes down to, you know, sometimes when we don't have these healthy boundaries, it's because on some level, we have almost like a, not a broken relationship with self, but there is a need to develop a healthier relationship with self and, and a need to express love for yourself. Because I think that's really what it comes down to when you love another person too. Like you're loving that person, but it's also an expression of loving yourself. If you love yourself and you really respect yourself, you, I think you show up differently when you try to uh, cultivate that kind of connection with another person. Yeah. Beautiful. Can I ask you a personal question? Yes. How do you develop that sense of self with yourself? And and maybe just if you can share some journey or some experiences that how you did that or how you worked through that. Oh, yeah, I can share. I'm by the way, I'm fine with you asking me anything. Okay. Um, so <laughs> in the past, I will say I definitely have had some dysfunctional relationships I think that a lot of it came from just not having healthy models to really like show me what things are supposed to be. So it's like I had all these ideas in my head about what it's not supposed to be, but didn't have anything to really compare it to. Right. So that was uh, definitely a difficulty for me. And there's a couple of things I want to say in here. All right. The first being that when it comes to differentiation, according to the theory, your family of origin has a huge influence on your level of differentiation. If you come from a family where there's a low level, you're likely to remain at that low level or through generations is likely to get worse, not improve. So that's the first thing. The second is that we know that partners, romantic partners, have a tendency to choose someone who's at a similar level of differentiation, <laughs> right? Because yes. you feel more comfortable, oh, yeah. even if it's dysfunctional, you feel more comfortable knowing that, okay, this person is pretty much where I'm at. And that, make, that gives you this false sense of, I've created a, a good connection with someone else, right? Yeah. Can I ask you, is yes. that... Is that, um, I guess it depends, but mm-hmm. it's like a subconscious thing kind of. It's it's like the two un- or unconscious 
parts of each person bring themselves together kind of idea? I'm not sure if it's, if it's an unconscious thing or if it's conscious, but it probably right. is both, honestly, just right. from the simple fact that it's like, even when we talk about attachment styles, right? Because I said that this is related to attachment. So for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what attachment is, at its core, it is the way that you bond with other people. And it's something that is established in the first year of life. Wow. Usually it's with your caregiver or whoever the main person is that's caring for you most of the time. And so your attachment style can either be secure or it can be insecure. Insecure attachment styles are related to dysfunctional relationships. More secure attachment styles are related to healthier relationships from a clinical standpoint. So if you are in a situation where it's like, you're not able to regulate your emotions. You don't have anything to compare like healthy relationships to. A lot of times we will adopt these negative thought patterns. We adopt negative behaviors because we're just reacting in a situation because we're, we go into almost like a fight or flight mode. Like if you have a hard situation and you don't have the right coping skills to learn how to sit with things that don't feel good, how to take time to process, how to create boundaries and tell another person like, hey, I don't know what to do here. I just need space to think for a few minutes. Like, can you give me that? You know, if you don't know that these are a thing, you're going to come up with the first thing that comes up in your mind when you start to feel that negative emotion, because I think our minds are wired to keep us safe. Our minds are not wired to help us learn like what, what is the healthiest thing to do like you're trying to survive yeah. so you're gonna do what yeah. you need to survive <laughs> yeah uh okay back to you were just describing sort of role models for your own attachment styles or family systems and relationships yes. and you said a couple you've had difficult experiences yes yeah and it was around the question of self respect self-love self-compassion that kind of thing mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first kind of moment in my life where I realized, oh, I have some work to do is my very first like real romantic relationship that I had with someone. Um, and there was just, it was so confusing to me because at that time, my conception of a dysfunctional relationship was very limited. And I see this with many other people, and that's why I'm so passionate about helping them get to mm -hmm. a, healthy, uh, a healthy standpoint, because you can, which is because um, I used to think that dysfunctional relationships are only relationships that are either abusive, mainly physically, or there are relationships where there's a lot of conflict. And so I learned through just taking the time to sit and process my thoughts and feelings because I went on this whole like self-discovery journey. I've always been someone who reflects a lot, but I didn't really know how to translate that when it came to like heightened moments of conflict with someone else, just because like the whole, the whole concept of conflict was really scary to me. 
And I felt like, oh, because I feel unsafe with conflict, I don't trust myself enough to come up with like a positive solution. So like I would just try to avoid it because it makes me uncomfortable. Um, And as I started to get into coaching, as I started to read more about how to have healthier relationships, how to build the life that you desire for yourself, because that's those are things that I really cared about. I started to recognize that, wow, like there's a huge spectrum of what a dysfunctional relationship looks like. And because in that relationship, there wasn't really any conflict, I thought, oh, this has to be on the healthier end, but it's not. <laughs> and, and yeah, can you tell us more about that? Because that's such a good insight. Maybe one example for me would be when I met my wife up until we got married and really until I got sober, which was pretty soon after marriage. And my drug of choice was cannabis. So I was high all the time. So any conflict or anything that may have been uncomfortable, I'd just be like, oh, yeah, no problem, whatever. I would just agree and agree and agree. And in my head, that meant, oh, this is healthy or this is... (laughs) I don't even know what I was thinking, but it was very (laughs) conflict avoidant or whatever. But I think it was more also a sort of a a diluted sense of cooperation or something like that. So uh, just to sort of say that out loud. And and also, as you say, so there was no conflict and you thought that was okay. And then you realized perhaps maybe actually that's not okay. Is that right? And then how did you, yeah. And and how, what did that look like? How did that? Yes. Um, so throughout that kind of like journey that I went through, I really started to question things. And I realized that like, there's always like two opposite ends to a spectrum, right? Like if there's a lot of conflict that might be dysfunctional, not always, but sometimes it is. Or on the other side, if you don't really have much conflict, that also was showing too that You have not long-term, we're talking like more long-term, once you've gotten to know someone over a period of probably a couple of months, if you have not really encountered conflict, it means that you have not built the essential healthy foundations of a relationship that feels safe enough for both people to speak their thoughts, their feelings and emotions and talk about things that bother them or to talk about things that maybe they want to improve together as a team. And I assume that is part of this differentiation of self thing. Yes. Yes, it really is. Because if you cannot regulate your emotions and you don't have that much of a a capacity to do that, then you're always going to have a lot of conflict or you're going to be someone on the other end you don't have much conflict with someone because you it goes back to like you not feeling safe with that other person mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not even like a an issue of like your attachment being the reason that you don't feel safe and i really want that to be clear when we talk about this because i think now that this topic of attachment has become so popular it's like yeah. people always relate it relate it back to you know, uh, 
something is something is like wrong with you in that way. But with differentiation, it's like you have to you have to be able to regulate your emotions and your feelings to be able to have a healthy relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely does. In that regulation, in that sort of self, I can't always self soothing. <laughs> I can never say that comes, comes that differentiation or comes that the clarity of the boundary, I think. Uh, and, and that's hard, particularly in either in conflict or in situations in which if you were to say something, speak up for something, address something you don't like that. And maybe that comes from that lack of self compassion or self love appreciation. It's too uncomfortable to say something and which case obviously we don't mm -hmm. then then what happens i guess i or, or maybe you already said that then what are possible pathways when we either when we just sort of withdraw and hide and don't speak up when you hide and you don't speak up resentment is a huge thing that I've seen, right? It's like, yeah. you're so upset with this other person, but you haven't given them the opportunity to know how you felt about the things that you feel resentment for. It's like, you're almost expecting this person to be a mind reader and they're not going to know everything. Even if you've been with someone for a very long time, in a healthy relationship, you're always going to have these opportunities to learn more about someone else as that person learns more about themselves. And that's what I think makes a relationship so beautiful. And other things that I've seen that can happen from, you know, going on the other side of, yeah. of that journey, emotional cutoffs are big. Um, usually that is from like a family perspective. You know, when you think about someone who, cuts off their family because their family stresses them out too much. Or, you know, like that, that one uncle or an aunt that you may have, or that cousin who like never shows up to family functions. They, they leave everyone on red. That's definitely a, a really big one. Yeah. And I think that that stems back to kind of like that avoidance that we talked about. People yeah. don't feel comfortable with negative emotions because they can't regulate their emotions because they don't have that capacity. And therefore, they like to try to withdraw or separate themselves, whether that is in conflict or through an emotional cutoff. Triangulation is another thing, which is when two people have a, a conflict and instead of resolving it between the two of them, they incorporate a third person into that dynamic. Uh, I've seen this with families a lot where maybe the daughter will call her mom every time that she gets into a big argument with her husband. And that, that within itself, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it fuels those feelings of resentment and it fuels a situation where you're not taking that opportunity to 
have healthy conflict because there are right and wrong ways to have conflict with someone else. But most of us aren't taught that even people who have secure attachment styles, styles and people who have healthy relationships, like they still may get caught up in these, these patterns where maybe they, when they think about the conflict later on, they're like, Oh man, I shouldn't have said that. Or maybe I should have handled it this way. Or maybe there's something else that I could have done here. And I think that if more people talked about this topic and shared positive coping mechanisms on how to deal with these things, uh, so many people would be better off. Certainly. Definitely. Can, can I want to uh, present you a case study on kind of what you said? And yes, it's a personal one. And with the triangulation thing, I think and the, I'm, uh, I'm an, I guess I'm an anxious avoidant type. I think mm-hmm. that's right. I withdraw for sure. So I shut down yes. and I withdraw. And what I ha- what I learned, and this did bother my wife for sure in the in the beginning as I was healing and we were sorting out our shit. Um, my sponsor in AA, this man is a godsend. He's really my best friend today. In those first few years when there would be conflict with my wife, I would go to him so that I could learn to regulate myself and then go back to the relationship and do my best to differentiate myself and be present and address the situation with my wife. I wouldn't use him as an excuse. I wouldn't say, Jeremy said this, you know, or, you know, (laughs) whatever. So is that considered a healthy form of coping? so that I can differentiate myself and address the problem? And would the unhealthy thing be, yeah, Jeremy said this and you need to do this. And I don't know, does that, does that fit the mold? Yes, it does. So if you are basically removing yourself from a situation with, with the intention of coming with it and dealing with it, not running away (laughs) and you're going to, speak with someone else just like as a soundboard because it helps you process your own thoughts. I would say that that's still within the healthy domain. But if you're going to someone else, like you said, and you're saying like, this person did this, and really what you're trying to do is get someone to pretty much like be on your side about however you feel like you may have been wronged in a situation (laughs) is when it's more so like triangulation. And I've seen this a lot too in families that have kids where the parent will tell the kids something and it might even, it might just be so like quick that you don't really think about it. Where like, I've seen parents do this where they'll say something like negative about the other parent, like, well, she always does this and this is what this is. Like you really should never tell your kids that because you're starting to create a triangle because you just, you just put another person into a conflict that was meant to be solved between you and and whoever your partner is or whoever you had the conflict with. One thing I should say is I often tried to get Jeremy roped into giving me a pity party, but he would always say, (laughs) this isn't about your wife, Mike, this is about you. Stop trying to, you know, blame her for your problems, which was very helpful for sure. Um, 
In terms of the kid thing, I'm curious, what level of healthy openness with our kids? And it's probably, it depends and there's probably all kinds of contexts, right? Yes. And I, I think what my wife and I have really tried to do is just to be very open and communicate what's going on inside of us. So I think we do a pretty good job. I'm sure there's times where we'd probably be better off shutting our mouths. Although I'm trying to, I was just taking one to take a second to make sure I give a good example. Okay. I don't know if I did handle this properly. This was recently. I was not having a moment of not getting along with my (laughs) wife. She was upset with me about something and the kids wanted, usually the fights are around screen time. That's basically the, the, the core of our, our marital disagreements. They wanted to have more screen time or something. And I said, you need to go talk to mom or I can't remember exactly mommy, whatever, mm-hmm. because I'm not getting along with her right now. And she's being mean to me. <laughs> so, so, I, so that's this weird balance of I'm trying to be open and honest so that I don't get short with them or, or whatever. And maybe that's a bit too much information. I don't know. What what do you think about that? That little example? Yeah. So I think that it definitely depends on like the family and like, what are the, what are the main like foundations that this family uses to function? I Uh think that says a lot more about like, what is destructive versus like what is just maybe typical for your family, right? Because your family might be completely different from somebody else's. Whereas in that example, that might be, I might consider that triangulation for someone else versus you, if you have like a very healthy family system. So I think just specifically with what you shared, the biggest thing to look at is, what was the response with your wife, right? Like, does your (laughs) wife feel resentment from that? Does your wife feel like, oh, the kids know too much. Why didn't you talk to me? Right. Do you personally feel like, hey, I don't think I should have told my kids this and maybe I don't feel comfortable including my kids in that kind of information. I think those three things are probably the biggest questions to kind of look at and come to when you have time, you know, like really reflect on it and and come to your conclusion on it. And I think that that is what's going to fit well with your family, because I know I've seen, you know, and I've seen this a lot mainly with like multicultural families mm-hmm. where there's a lot of there's a lot of family responsibility like a lot of feeling like you have to take on somebody else's stuff in order to function in your family and that that it's it's really heavy uh in minority families more than others that I've seen but I've also have seen this work really well in healthy families. But I, I think it comes back to how does your relationship with your partner function? 
And then how does the relationship between you, your partner and your kid function, right? Because I talked about systems theory and part of being a systemic thinker is looking at families as systems. So as a system, I see you, your wife and your kid as one system. I'm also looking at what's the system between you and your wife. That's its own separate thing. That's going to have its own rules for functioning, which is going to be completely different than how you all three relate together. And I'm also looking at, well, what are the relationships that you all have with yourselves? And then if you have other kids, what is the relationship between your kid and that other kid? You see, so she was there. She was, I don't know if she heard, but my daughter was there too. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's, I'm not sure exactly. Um, maybe just stick to this. So, so yeah. So, depending on the dynamic and what the norms are of the family, and and sort of my dynamic with my wife, and I like what you said about how she, if she was in the room at the time, how would have she taken that? Yeah. Yeah, I do think we we're certainly on the more open side of things, so that probably wouldn't have bothered her. And she was just mad at me anyway. So I don't know. (laughs) It all depends, but it all kind of winds down in the end. I do Mm -hmm. also like kind of the, I think you said my own comfort level with being open about it. I think, is that what you said too? Yes. Yeah. Like thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that in front of my son. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I think I'm getting a little uh, family therapy here. I think, um, (laughs) I think that that was, no, I think I handled it relatively well. Certainly there was a little annoyance probably because I also like mm-hmm. really like what you said earlier about, well, one, I like the saying expectations are a recipe for a resentment. Also, not saying anything is a recipe for a resentment. <laughs> yes. So I think I got to go with, in that case, if I didn't say anything, I'd probably be in worse shape than saying something. And I often encourage people to remember or to recognize, oftentimes there is no quote unquote good choice. Both choices are going to suck and there's going to be suffering involved in both choices. So choose your own adventure <laughs> and, and just accept that either way is probably not, not going to be great. Yes. I, I really like how you said that. I agree with that. And I think in your specific example, now that you have shared like your own internal process with that and thinking about what your wife's response would have been. It sounds like to me, just like you being open is something that you really value. And so like that value is something that you want to exist within like the whole family system right? with everyone included. And I would say from that perspective, then it's healthy because you're also modeling that kind of behavior for your kids. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. That helps me kind (laughs) of, or just, you know, thankfully, you know, it wasn't, wasn't so bad. (laughs) The, I'm curious what you oftentimes when I work with people or, or when I work with, so in addiction recovery, resentment is sort of the number one poison. So working through resentments is a core component. And at the same time, when it's people on the other side, so when it's a family member of helping those those people recognize they harbor their own resentments and that actually at some point we have to recognize that we're responsible for our own resentments because we didn't speak up and say something. 
uh, which is so horrible when objectively speaking, the other person really is a disaster and a jerk or a, a problem. Yet we, at some point again, and, and I don't want to speak for my wife per se, but at some point when I stopped being the problem, she had to recognize how she contributed to the situation. Mm-hmm. And that's not hard, obviously. I mean, sorry, that's not easy for people to recognize from a family systems or a differentiation differentiation of self idea. How, how do you see people come to that, I guess? Or what are ways that help people stop blaming the other person for their resentment, I guess? It was a bit of a convoluted question, but does that kind of make sense? Yes, it does. Um, The first thing that I thought about when I heard you bring this up is in MFT, Mm -hmm. there is something called circular causality, which most people just in society in general in America, and also I think just traditional therapy, not marriage and family therapy, which is different, but Mm -hmm. regular therapy it's a lot of thinking about like the self and linear causality. So linear thinking is when you say this person did something and now that is the cause of me feeling this way, right? That would be linear causality. Circular in Canada, causality. Sorry, sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you. In, I think the Canadian accent is linear. just sorry to interrupt you sorry yeah 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 no no that's fine that's funny yeah Yeah, it is funny (laughs) yes okay sorry go on go on no problem in uh marriage and family therapy circular causality is when you say hey a doesn't cause b and then b causes c it's a influences B and B also influences A. And it's always going to work out that way. So how I really try to help people just even in my own coaching business, which coaching is, you know, different than therapy, but I still kind of try to take that approach is by helping people understand that when there's a particular situation what you do is going to influence that other person and what that other person is going to do is going to influence you at all points. So if I'm working with a couple and the wife is very angry with her husband and she withdraws from him because she's angry. Now that she withdrew, maybe she notices that he relapses and he's drinking more, but now Mm -hmm. Now that he's drinking more, the wife sees that and now she has more resentment. So she draws her herself away even more and then it just continues. So I really try to help people understand what kind of pattern it is that they're stuck in and understand what that cycle looks like and figuring out how you can break it and create a healthier one because you're always going to be influencing one another. It's the same thing in families too. Like, even in the example that you gave with your kids and like using technology and like iPads, right? If you, if you're telling your kids, Hey, don't 
don't use the iPad and they use the iPad, that's going to influence how you respond back to them and how you respond back to them is going to influence whether or not they're going to keep using the iPad. So, yeah. How, how does the, that's a great example about the wife and the the husband and the relapse and the, how do you, first question, okay. Mm-hmm. Where does differentiation of self fit into that for that example you gave of the, the, with, the withdrawing and the drinking mm-hmm. and that whole pattern? Yeah. So differentiation from its first definition when it comes to being able to like regulate your thoughts and feelings comes back to like, what is the relationship that you have with being able to cope and deal with hard emotions? Because, you know, if you're in that example, if you're drinking a lot because you have these negative emotions that you feel because you your relationship is broken right now. We'd have to start really looking at like, how can we help you to better regulate what it is that you're thinking and feeling so that you can pick up other habits from the other side of it. The second definition, which is being able to maintain a strong sense of I, while there's also a strong sense of we, that looks like being able to maybe communicate with your partner about what you feel and start instead of like picking up a drink for the wife, maybe, maybe that looks like having a conversation and and letting that person know what it is that she's struggling with the reason why she's withdrawing. What is it that she needs that she feels like she's not getting? What is it that the husband feels like he needs, right? Because if he's drinking too, there's probably a need there that's not being met and it's being supplemented with the alcohol. And so that's kind of where all those other things kind of intersect like your attachment. Maybe maybe they both respond this way because they have insecure attachments. And by the way, if you have an insecure attachment style, there's a there's a high level uh like prediction that you probably have a low level of uh differentiation or a lower level. Um because it is a spectrum and I also want to stay want to state here too we're talking about like having a low level of differentiation, having a higher level, and then going from like low to high. But there's not a specific like point in the life journey where someone's ever going to be like, I am now well differentiated because I did these like 10 things in the last like two years of my life. It really is a very large spectrum. It's not a specific point that you're ever going to like graduate to. It's more about like, how can I notice things that maybe I'm doing and how I'm relating to others that's not getting me positive results that I feel happy, fulfilled, and like I have a meaningful life with. And I kind of want to ask, one of the things I try to do or I am trying to do, I have a colleague, David, who we do podcasts together and talk about the the blending or the relationship between this idea of differentiation of self. So I am an individual. I have my own experiences. If I can regulate myself and and kind of guide myself in a direction, I mean, obviously we can never do that alone. I shouldn't say obviously, I just want to point out nobody can do anything really on their own. 
Um, and at the same time, we are responsible for ourselves to the extent that we can be and that kind of thing. And then I like the sort of descriptions you're giving of the family system stuff and the, the marriage family attachment uh, theories and ideas because it manifests or not only individual, but it manifests out into, so from family to community to whatever race, class, culture, all these other kind of things, political ideologies, all this stuff. I yearn for how we can reconcile these things in such a way that just makes us more cohesive society, I guess. Or And it's hard to ask the question because I don't actually, I'm trying to formulate it as I think and speak. I'm curious what you think about that, if that makes sense, and how you might see in self-compassion practice, there's this idea of common humanity, which I find so powerful and helpful. And, and that I think is, I yearn for that to help bring the suffering of the world together as opposed to create more division. Anyhow, that was a bit of a kind of all over the place. I think it's pointing in a direction. Um, does that sort of, does that make sense or do you hear me, I guess? And what do you think about that? Yes, I do hear you. And it makes sense to me. The very first thing that I thought about was back on what we were talking about with circular causality and yeah. thinking about things as systems. If we keep yeah, that yeah. same perspective, then when it comes to society, you can look at it as what we do in our personal lives, in our homes, influences society at large and all those other things that you named like politics and all that other stuff. Right. But also those things are systems too. So how our communities deal with problems, how, how the political ideologies are then pushed out to other people and all these larger systems, how they operate has an influence on us as individuals and has right. an influence right. on us as like families and communities. Right. right. And so it really is a two-way street. And how, how do you see differentiation of self working in that circular kind of causality and, and how mm-hmm. I really do think that, I mean, clearly this is a serious, uh, maybe it's not right. This circular thing and differentiation of self in some sense is a civilizational issue right now. And for us to evolve, if that's the right word and, and, create a world that is more cohesive this really matters (laughs) and and i guess just yeah so how does the how do you see differentiation of self fitting into that and like how it might help how i see it is that if you are able to value respect and appreciate the fact that each person is their own individual self their own ideas, thoughts, and feelings, and you can respect and appreciate that, that's going to change the way that you respond to other people. That's going to change your ability to empathize with other people. And I think that by doing that, because it has an influence on the outside world, that Mm -hmm. the outside world is going to respond differently. And I I think even though it's a two-way street, 
I think it's easier to make sense of all these different systems when you come back to yourself and say, all right, I'm only responsible for myself, my thoughts, and my feelings. What can I do as one person to show up in the way that I want things to look in the world? And I, I think that naturally is going to have an effect because it has to. Those two things are in a relationship. That's beautiful. Uh, that last, uh, how do I, can you, that was just, uh, I, it's on re record so we, people can rewind it, <laughs> but that, can you say that again? The last part of that, like, how do I show up as myself to create that? Okay. Oh, I don't even remember. Yeah. Okay. It, it was, was so nice. Yeah. Thank you. It basically yeah. just was that those two things are in a relationship with one another. So if you're able to take responsibility for yourself, your thoughts and your feelings, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is going to have an effect on the outside world, how society, right. Right. all these right. different communities are going to relate and respond to other people right. because you, you can't separate them. Yeah. 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 I mean, and thank you again. <laughs> the this the the website or the brand starts with me is that ethos of of sort of the our individual personal responsibility for our own shit so that we can help create a better world i think that often gets lost in these which you're saying right like it gets lost in these descriptions or these dialogues around how do we kind of make the world a better place, so to speak. And people are like, no, society has to change. And people are like, no, the individual has to change, but there's, you can't have one without the other, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It has to be both, but yeah. how one responds to the other is going to influence how the other responds to you and how the other responds right. to you is going to influence yeah. how you respond to them. Right. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it really is both. It's not either or, and that's where, yeah a lot of these conversations really yeah. lie. And I think that keeping with all this stuff we've talked about with differentiation of self, that goes back to just being able to value an individual. And that boils down to not just like you as an individual self, but also like as an individual system, like a community, mm -hmm. like valuing that community as one system Valuing another community as a system, valuing like politics, like a party as one system. And I'm seeing right now in the world, and that's not to say that like the world is bad and horrible, but it just seems like so many of these conversations could be much more productive and lead to better results if everyone just like valued all the different systems that are going on, because when you value it, you act differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm noticing the time we got a bit more time. So, uh, I wanted to ask you, well, yeah. How do you practice this? We sort of talked about it a little bit earlier, but, what's your process for personal well-being and yeah maybe that's a simple way to say it how do you practice that stuff yeah i think the biggest way that i practice it that 
goes along with any answer that I could give here is I really value just building the life that I desire to create for myself. For me, that looks like having healthy relationships with people that I care about, friends, family, romantic partners. That also looks like me just pursuing things that I'm passionate about, always making sure that I am learning new things that interest me, really leaning into the questions that I have about other people or my own life or why I do the things that I do. All these different things make me feel much more fulfilled in my own life. And I think that that is really at the core of what helps me with my own personal well-being. Thank you. Do you have, um, I'm getting more comfortable talking about this openly or asking people about it, any sort of spiritual connection to the universe, God, transcendence, I don't know, whatever word you want. Do you have any, is that part of your life? Yes, it's a major part of my life. So real quick, yeah. growing up, I went to like, even like a Christian uh, daycare as a kid. And then from first grade all the way up until I graduated high school, I went to Catholic schools exclusively. And throughout my years of going to religious schools, Though I always believed in a God or something like greater than myself, mm -hmm. I would often go through these periods where I felt like there was cognitive dissonance between what was being taught to me and my own perception of what I think God is. To me, God is all unconditional love. But some of the things that I was being taught, I felt like was in conflict with that. And just going through my own personal journey of leaning into like those questions that I was telling you about and what's the meaning of life? What, what is God? Like how, how can I have a relationship with God? I think that that has been one solid piece of my life, no matter what has happened, that has always kept me grounded has always reminded me that I can build that life that I desire and can create something meaningful. Nice. So yes, that's a huge part of my life. Nice. Yeah. I think it's certainly there, there, that would be a, I guess a cultural difference between Canada and America is sort of, there's definitely more religious spiritual affiliation in the U S maybe just to comment too, for people listening, there's such a, I'll speak for myself, attachment to, or there used to be what the word God meant and what it represented. And I would always sort of associate it to all the negative connotations of religion. And that wasn't helpful for me. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I kind of like how you said it too. I, I think I, and I learned this through AA, just, I guess I got to be fully transparent about that. Uh, the saying is basically, um, created conscious contact with God as we understood God kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I think perhaps maybe that's, there is a void in, there's a God shaped hole inside of our civilizational stomachs right now, I think. And 
and maybe it's wise to reject the traditional or be skeptical of kind of our traditional religions. I'm not sure. I don't even know if I have an opinion on that. I just want to encourage people to be open to what you said it to. I can't remember exactly how you said it. What I think I heard you say was, it's just not my own sort of self-centered self-will kind of idea. Like being open to something bigger than myself. I think that's what you said. Um, yes. Yeah. And just how nourishing that is. Yeah. And having your own relationship because right. like my relationship with God might be different than your relationship. That might sure, look like sure. maybe you even, you call God something else, right? right like sure, sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all these, all these little things, I think it's easy for us just as humans to question things so much that we get stuck and we forget that we're allowed to have our own personal relationship with something. And we can also value someone else's personal relationship with something without trying to tell them I'm right, you're wrong and, and getting into just negativity that doesn't have to exist. Because I think at the end of the day, whatever you want to call that thing or those yeah, things, yeah, whatever yeah. it is you believe, I think that its whole purpose is like to unite and be of love. And so if, People can just remember that. I don't think they'll get so caught on like, right. ooh, is it right if I believe this or not? Like, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and last, maybe just, is that a form of differentiation of self? Yeah, it, it can be, right? Like, uh -huh. religion is, I don't want to say religion is important to my life because it's played a major role, but I think more so than anything, my relationship with God and my perspective of God is a huge part of my life. I would say like by definition, I'm much more spiritual than I am religious. Like I believe in all these things that the Catholic church would say, there's no way that's real. Right, like, yeah. oh, hell, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it has a lot to do with differentiation of self because that aspect of my life is a part of my identity. At this point, it is. It's how I make sense of myself and how I decide how I'm going to respond in situations that are challenging or how I'm going to, how I'm going to respond in situations that are good. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's fair to assume this about people. Do you think part of what might help people come to some form of relationship to relationship with i've even heard a, an atheist a staunch sam harris he's like a philosopher or atheist guy mm -hmm. talk recently about this idea and he said his idea of a higher power is just the wonder of the universe kind of idea and i think is this sort of again that differentiation of self our our difficulty with having our own thoughts and ideas and understanding what those mean and what they mean for us probably gets blurred or enmeshed or we, we get caught up in, in worrying too much about that. So we maybe block ourselves off to the concept of God or something like that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. And I will definitely agree with that. I've, I've seen it. I will say 
from my own experience, I have done that. I'll probably still do that (laughs) in certain situations. Just that's just what it is. Like I said, there's a spectrum, you know, you could be someone who's considered well differentiated, but still have these periods where you feel like, oh, no, I'm going backwards. So that's completely normal um, and expected too. Yeah. Just because there is no endpoint. Right on. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am looking at the time and maybe that seems like a nice natural endpoint. I want to, just if you want to share kind of how people can find you, find your work and, and learn more about you and everything you're doing, if you want to kind of share that, it'll also be in the description of the video and the podcast and all that stuff. But yeah, just, it's always nice to kind of hear, hear it from the person. Thank you. If any of you resonated with what was shared in this episode and you are serious about learning how to build a happy and healthy relationship dynamic, go to BiancaWard.com slash contact and book a free session with me. I always offer a free 30-minute call where I speak with people and I will give you the next best step that you can take no matter where you are to start building that healthy relationship and become more well differentiated. Awesome. Thank you. Are you, you're in graduate school right now or what are you doing outside of the coaching and what are you kind of, I mean, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but what are you yearning for moving towards kind of working at right now? Mm -hmm. So I am in graduate school for marriage and family therapy, and I'm also working as a certified life coach. I have my own business. Outside of my business work, I actually have another job too, where I work as the assistant director of a nursing and rehab center. And I'm really passionate about all of those things. I love being able to help people through the pain that they're going through, whether that's mental, emotional, or physical. And that's really where kind of all three of those jobs come in for me. Mm-hmm. The goal long term, and what I believe my calling is just to exclusively do therapy and coaching. But right now, I feel like there's still a purpose in what I'm doing as the assistant director. I've connected with so many people where they've told me just me sitting with them for 15 minutes made them feel better about their life. And and it gave them some form of like motivation and encouragement to continue because they remember that there's good in the world. And we're talking about people who have like cancer and are in hospice, you know, people who just, just lost their leg and they have no family to come visit them or like their wife passed away or they just had a heart attack and that's why they got sent to the nursing home. Well, I will second that and say my life has been enriched and, and I feel joyful at having the opportunity to sit with you and learn from you. And thank you for helping me work through some of my own thoughts and, and perspectives and yeah, just a big sort of expression of gratitude and appreciation for you and your time. And, and thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.